Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm discussing how do you know where to start or focus in healing? So this is a huge question, and I suspect one that stumps a lot of people pre-therapy. And even while they're in therapy with their healer, where do I begin? What do I say? Where do I focus? So I want to break this down to give you some suggestions. And I want to say that every single therapist, every single healer out there can give you a totally different answer. I'm going to give you the answer that sort of resonates with me for highly sensitive people, knowing that this will be a little bit different depending on your story, where you are, and that's part of figuring out where to start. So I want to offer that a great place to start is what I call parallel process, where we can really use the present moment. Sometimes highly sensitive people get really stuck overthinking, and that adds to their overwhelm. Using the present moment, using the parallel process of the present moment gives a permission to use exactly where you are, what you're feeling, and your circumstances in real time speaking authentically. So what does that look like? It looks like making your lips and face say what the anxious mind is circling on Instead of trying to find the thing that you think is the right thing to talk about. Okay, so what does that mean? How does that sound? It sounds like saying out loud to a therapist, I'm not sure if I can do this with you. I'm not sure if we are clicking. Can you help me with that? Or I'm so overwhelmed, I don't know where to start. Then I get worried about wasting my expensive appointment time and being frustrated and more annoyed with myself, angry, hurt, upset, more so than I was before the appointment. Can you help me with that? Or if your truth is money is tight right now for me and I feel like I need to come every day to feel better. So I feel hopeless about spending an hour together this week. Can you help me with this? Sometimes that might sound like where I am right now is really resistant. 
I'm mad that I'm here sitting in this therapy chair. I'm mad that my family is crazy and I'm the only one who has to go to therapy. That doesn't seem fair. Can you help me with that? Sometimes the place where we're starting with a new healer is my old therapist retired or died. Yep, that can happen. And I'm scared to trust again and sink into the process and get vulnerable and then have something change. If the therapist can't meet you here right where you are, they might not be the right one for you. But I also have a caveat about what I'm saying here. So I know that a lot of you who are on my waiting list to work with me, and I've heard this over the years many, many, many times, well before I had a podcast, a lot of sensitive people are hyper vigilant about not working with the wrong therapist. And I'm putting air quotes around wrong and right as I go through this and get wrapped up in looking for the exact right therapist. And that makes sense. Of course, that's what we want. Of course, that's what we're seeking out. And of course, we do not want to settle. Not in our professional relationships, not in our personal relationships. So I know I resonate with that you want to get in with the exact right person. The person that you think you can feel safe with so that you can open up and heal. And I know that you and your system, if you're coming from less than an adequate or safe childhood environment, less than adequate and safe adults as caregivers and caretakers, then your people picker may have failed you a few times. And you desperately do not want to pick another abusive or at best inadequate healer. So what the hell do I mean by the wrong therapist being the right therapist? So hear me out. Most of you who resonate with my work will Notice that you struggle with a bit of the perfectionist, right? Perfectionism creeps in. I like to say that it it pops up in real sneaky places. So we've really got to watch that the perfectionist doesn't drive the healing process, doesn't create expectations that essentially wind up keeping you from a good enough therapeutic relationship, as you search for more of an ideal or someone that you can go even deeper with. Part of what we're healing if we have PTSD-like symptoms is our oversimplified triggered reaction of flight, making us bolt away from imperfect situations. Part of what we're learning to do is to be able to tolerate, yes, tolerate what is imperfect or not ideal when there's something good there for us to learn or to grow with. I want me, I want Chris, my husband, I want all of us to run like hell away from anything that's truly toxic. But we can overreact and run away from these available lessons with a good enough therapist. So we can practice with the good enough, the good enough dynamic. If we come from a critical parent where nothing was ever good enough, we may be sitting with a therapist where we get to practice This is good enough for now. Allowing some work at a surface level. What a good enough therapist can offer us is the experience of telling someone a healthy goodbye, a healthy thank you, and a now I'm moving on to what's next. And to have that goodbye be received well. Something few people on the planet seem to be able to do with grace, respect, and understanding is move on from each other. 
And a good enough therapist can hold that space for you. And that's a very important life lesson, isn't it? It's not one that we typically intend and make the goal, hey, I'd like to be able to say goodbye to you and integrate that work into my being since life is going to challenge me to say goodbye to so many things. And so many people are going to say goodbye to me. What good work to do, though it may not be the work that we intended when we showed up. A good enough therapist can help us learn to live in the gray between good and bad and all or nothing. We can learn to take what works for us and leave the rest. Like you hear me say all the time on the show, healthy people who are good at holding space will not grip you and will allow and understand that it is sometimes the right thing to leave another human being. With a good enough therapist, we can get the basics down. Because mindfulness is not rocket science. But I find we do need to spend time with a professional to catch what we don't necessarily see just because we are normalized to ourselves. So we don't see the problematic ways that we might process or hear or feel because negativity or a critical voice can be so normalized, especially if we have a harsh perfectionist. In learning to allow a friend or a therapist or someone in our lives that's just good enough for now, allowing that even while we look for what's next without creating a story of, am I crazy? Why aren't I clicking with this person? Am I missing something? What's wrong with me? It seems like I should be able to click with this person. We can learn to let go of all of that. We can learn to sit in the truth with ourselves, maybe saying, hey, this therapist can only take me so far. Many guides can guide me along the long journey of my life. I can be grateful for this service and care while I stay and receive it, and then I can leave when the time is right. Many of us just don't know how to leave until we're pissed off, pulling our hair out, exasperated, hurt, angry, till we've overfunctioned, overtalked, overexplained, overthought, begged for our needs to get met. Moving on from a good enough therapist can be a huge life lesson in breaking this cycle and leaving on a high note. Those of you who've burnt it all down whenever you've left most situations, this can be a life-changing experience to offer yourself. Not finding the right therapist isn't a great reason to not start. I'm not saying to work with the wrong therapist. Another way for me to say this might be, if you want a spiritual mother or father as a healer, cool, you can keep seeking that out. And when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. But don't discount the powerful influence in a different way of a spiritual cousin or a spiritual aunt. We might allow people to be bridges as we grow, as we heal, as we develop, as we learn what safety, what vulnerability what connection really is. And that might be the bridging that we need to be able to choose and connect with the deep healer that our souls crave. We can learn to trust in divine timing instead of trying to control all things and drive and push things forward. There's a balance of empowered action and letting go and allowing the universe to hold us. 
Another place that we can start and do our work in our healing process or beginning with a therapist is with stabilization, safety, and pacing. Raw is the best descriptor that I can used to describe myself walking into new therapist offices over and over again between the ages of 16 and 27. And most highly sensitive people I know would fall into one of two camps starting therapy. Many of us fall into the, hi, hello, I'd like to schedule a week-long appointment so I can get my entire story out. We just want to get in there and get it all out. And the pendulum may swing to the other side where other HSPs, you might feel more shut down. And this may be a result of more neglect, growing up unheard or developing a strategy of avoiding what's hard or true. And many of you may squirm at the idea of a full 50 minute or hour appointment. You may feel like, wow, after 30 minutes of sitting in a chair talking about myself, I might have major ants in the pants and just want to run out of there. You got to watch out for my clinical terms, y'all. But we want a certain amount of stability inside of ourselves. So if you show up to a new healer and you feel out of whack, if you just don't feel stable, there's a way to really say to that healer, please help me stabilize I feel frantic inside of my body. Do you have techniques for that? Please teach them to me. If you're still living in an abusive environment, as a therapist, I don't want to participate in opening you up if you're still living with an abuser. Because that's kind of like living in hell. So I'm not going to open you up vulnerably, then give you a pat on the back as you go back to a version of hell. So if a therapist gives you any message of, Wait, 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 not yet, slow down, don't tell me so much right now. Try not to take that personally. I know early in my healing, I've taken this personally and I've processed this with other clients who have shown up to work with me who also took this or received this in a hurtful way instead of a helpful way. If you process this from your critical voice, It'll sound like, what's wrong with me? Even the therapist doesn't want to hear it, and she's getting paid. And that can feel very, very desperate. But the therapist may be trying to help you get to a more stabilized external environment. So you can have a more stabilized internal environment to be able to have some stabilization as you move through the work. So it may be really wise to deal with some surface level issues, moving from the outside of the onion to the inside of the onion, as we say therapeutically. We peel the onion. So HSPs know that it's valuable work to be on more of the surface level to deal with some of those layers before going more deep, more inward. Sometimes we show up like, hey, I'd like to go right to the core. And even though I'm good at that, cutting through to the core, I am cognizant that we have to establish some stabilization internally and externally, some reasonable safety before doing very, very vulnerable work. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about pivotal moments in history? If so, then try my new podcast, Calm History. 
it's a time machine of tranquility, filled with immersive and fascinating stories from history. Prior episodes include The Pilgrims, Marco Polo, Henry Ford, Joan of Arc, Jackie Robinson, Klondike Gold Rush, Ancient Greek Olympics, Easter Island, and the Great Pyramid of Giza. There's also a six-part series about the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. Now, I know it doesn't seem like it, but it is super okay in trauma work to do very little therapeutically in the first handful of sessions. Now, that might sound weird or backwards. And don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a value kind of person. The logic, I think, for most of us will always stand with most things that, hey, I, I want to get a bang for my buck. I want to squeeze the most therapeutic value out of every single appointment that I have, that I pay for with my hard-earned money, my time, my energy, my vulnerability. But this way of being mucks up a survivor's therapeutic process. And especially if you, like me, come from a more blue-collar background, this can be an excruciating hurdle to a useful therapeutic process. How or why is it okay to do very little? Well, because a lot happens on a subconscious level as we're experiencing another human being. And if you have trauma history and are hypervigilant, even more happens in that very private space between just you and just the therapist. Because if you were hurt and violated by other people, most in most cases, what's common is that that was with one other person, generally behind a closed door. So sometimes just being able to walk in an office with a door shut with one other person will send the system into a bit of anxiety, even a bit of panic. So while if we take a movie of a session, if we video it, it may look like we're doing very little, we're actually doing a lot. So for someone who has experienced significant trauma, I might sit in a first few sessions and say very little words, maybe like 10 words. And we might just sit and draw together and show each other what we're drawing. Sometimes I've sat and blown bubbles in my office or outside. In a digital session, I might say, hey, let's ditch the office, grab some earbuds, let's switch to phone and take a walk outside together. When we do this, part of what's happening is we share space. We're breathing together. We're in mutual activity. I'm sending calming energy to the survivor. That survivor's adult self and inner child self learn that they can go at their own pace and I'm respecting that. A client learns that they can show up as they are and not get pushed, not physically, not emotionally, as they may have been by family of origin or by abusers in their history. The inner child and the outer adult are assessing my energy. They're checking out. Am I controlling? Do I have easy vibes or critical vibes? Am I allowing them to be who they are? Am I putting expectation on them? 
Am I reactive? Am I judgmental? Am I kind? Am I cruel? Am I going to be just another person in a long line of people to say not good enough? And then in subsequent sessions, I might say, hi, I had fun hanging out with you last week. How was that for you? We're building a memory through experience and building rapport in our relationship. I'm a believer that most of us are hurt in the first place because of lacking in the human condition. And we heal by what's whole and compassionate from the human condition. Now, this stage of sitting and doing very little, it can be overdone. It really can. A therapist can give so much space to that that the person can stall out. So there's a saying in trauma work, we want to move slowly, but we want to move So being a good trauma therapist is a bit like driving a car. And I believe walking the healing path is also like driving a car. We play with the gas and we play with the brake. Sometimes it's right to put our foot on that gas pedal and go. And other times we just sort of tap the brake. Sometimes we sit, park, turn the car off. Other times we take a long journey. We can't figure that out. We have to get in the car and assess the situation and figure out what to do as we're doing it, don't we? And the healing path is very similar. Now, for some trauma therapists, this is really hard to do. I've done a lot of coaching with other therapists on how to do this because therapists are people and we're aware that you want to get as much as you possibly can out of a session. So sometimes this type of work is the hardest for a trauma therapist because we might want to get in there and hurry up and help you heal. But trauma therapists, if I start with an energy that says, you got to hurry up and get to the core and tell me what's happening so that I can help you, creates an expectation. It creates a pressure. And especially if someone was physically or sexually abused, that abuser had expectations for that survivor and pushed their agenda onto that survivor. So I'm highly cognizant as a healer to not push my agenda, even one that's well-intentioned on a trauma client. Y'all hear me talk a lot about inner child work. In a child's development, what's natural is that a mother and a father spend time and space with that little one with no real expectation. Nobody expects things out of a baby. Nobody expects much out of a toddler, right? Because all that they're required to do is to just be and grow, explore and experience. So some of these early sessions with a trauma healer can very much recreate this. Sometimes when I've had an in-person office or even digitally, I might say, take some time to just look past me, check out my space. Look at my knickknacks and ask me any questions you'd like. I'm letting their inner child explore in a new space, allowing curiosity. And I'm participating in the reality that it's dangerous to trust others simply because they have credentials or some kind of outfit. Therapists, priests, pastors, police officers, doctors, nurses aren't necessarily trustworthy just because of the stamps of safety society gives those professionals. 
And a survivor must be empowered to actually develop trust or to develop a sense of trusting in themselves when trust is not developing and be able to leave and go elsewhere. A good trauma therapist walks this line of allowing and holding space and saying, come on, we must move. How about over here? So there's a process of the therapist meeting you where you are and you meeting the therapist to guide down the walking path. You can ask a therapist to go slowly. You can acknowledge it might take you a long time to build trust. If you feel like you have a lot, if you're one of those people that wants the one week solid session with a healer, know that you can do a lot to dump and purge. This is useful if you feel like there's never enough time in session, your session goes by in a blink. Now, if you're wondering, why is she using the word purge? That's an eating disorder word. Well, the work I've done with eating disorders has taught me that my clients who want the control of purging food usually are avoiding letting go of their true feelings, how scared, how hurt, how wildly inadequate and out of control they feel. Hence the need to control what food goes in and what food goes out. So yes, even for those of you who are struggling through some eating disorder issues, this is an interesting thing to consider. What if each time you felt the urge to purge with food, you purged words, feelings, the story of who you are and what's happened to you, what you've expected out of life versus the reality? Much of the healing process is a grieving process. Grieving as we change, as we grow, as we evolve, leaving what no longer serves us behind. In grief work, we tell our stories over and over till we no longer need to. So writing our stories, dumping them out on paper, it's useful to get it out till we no longer need to. Furthermore, our handwriting is very special. Think about that for a minute. Not about judging your handwriting if you don't think it's so pretty. But handwriting is... Analysis is admissible in court, y'all, because the way we write is completely unique, like a thumbprint. Isn't that amazing? So, no, I don't have a study in front of me that proves we get more release out of writing versus typing. But I have to believe in what I've seen and experienced myself. Getting it out, however we do, the spoken word, typed, etc., it's good, But getting it out with our own magically unique handwriting, next level release. So if you have a lot in you, start getting it out. Please don't let the perfectionist out to play here with your story. You don't need good grammar or punctuation. I know many of you highly sensitive people love to write a perfectly written page. Ooh, something is so good about that, isn't it? Penmanship porn is real, y'all. But when you're getting your story out, when you're purging it out of your system, we want to let it be messy in the name of getting it all out instead of putting energy into the organization on the control of it. Another good place to start your work is to attain that therapist and then build support networks outside of that therapist relationship. And this is harder than ever due to COVID. It's hard on those of you who are the clients of therapists, and it's hard on therapists because before COVID, it was real easy to encourage, to coach, to say, hey, that's an excuse. Go out there. 
You got to get out there for your mental health. So we're finding creative ways to build support networks, maybe like never before, maybe in some ways you never would have considered pre-COVID. Online, you can find communities. Please be wary of entering communities that are echo chambers. It's awesome to find communities that have something to do with recovery or growth, but it's also useful to diversify. Consuming the self with everything self-help will not help you heal faster. It will burn you out. Particularly if you live with the struggle of overwhelm, please don't overwhelm yourself trying to heal. Be fair to yourself and don't overwhelm this precious system, not with bad stuff and weirdly, yes, not with good stuff either. Overwhelm is overwhelm. Though balance is elusive and not really achievable in any kind of perfect way, there's the perfectionist again. I do use the concept like a rudder or like life fins that I want to keep the idea of balance as part of who I am and how I operate so that I can counterbalance and stabilize as I flow. It's useful in our work to make a list of the things that you really believe you need to work on. This can be useful if you purged or dumped all of your emotions out. Once it's out of you, it's out of you. And then you can start to focus on organizing it. As weird as it can feel to declare, I want to talk about this today, which seems like it's coming out of left field to sit in that therapist chair and just say, yes, I decided I'm going to work on this for my childhood. That feels a little awkward. Like you're pulling it out of left field. But isn't that kind of the point? That our personal traumas and struggles don't live hunkered down way out in left field. If they did, we all might not need therapy over the course of a life. But they don't seem to hang out way out in left field and stay there. They seem to creep in. To sit on our shoulders. To whisper in our ears. To guide our choices. And often to belittle our experience or tell us to shrink. Giving yourself permission to list them and look at them is quite empowering. It may even make you feel like you have less to work on than it feels. And by putting pen to paper can offer some clarity. Because in that moment, it's as if you say to yourself, Hey, guess what? Mind and heart and body, you don't have to carry this. This paper is going to hold this for us. Let me put it down on the paper. There is never a bad time to work on cultivating patience and kindness, internally and externally. And these are always grounding forces. Patience and kindness. Breathing is a great place to start. And don't underestimate the power of sitting with yourself and focusing on breath. Right now with me now. Can you put your hands on your ribcage and take a big, deep, full body breath? Feel your rib cage expand north, south, east, and west. Notice what happens to your mind when you take that breath. Notice what happens to your body. What happens if you invite a full, deep breath more often, daily, multiple times a day? It takes patience and kindness, and yes, breath. One breath at a time to walk this healing path. As hard as this might be for some of our internalized parts to accept, we can invite the idea of sinking into the spiritual principle that we are exactly where we are supposed to be, 
This used to fry my brain and piss me off. I hated where I was, and I did not like this saying. It's only now that I'm through to the other side of the bulk of my pain process that I get it. I had to go through that. And I fought myself and the process the whole way when I didn't need to. That's part of what a traumatic childhood teaches us, y'all. That everything is a fight. That everything is a struggle. If I could go back in time, I would say to my younger self, please don't fight the process. Please trust that you can, are, and will move through your pain. You're doing it. You're going to get to the other side. It's inevitable. Trust that. We offer ourselves so much healing progress when we decide that we can let go of this kind of fight. Of course, we can't be other than where we are. This might be part spiritual belief and part act of faith and know that we can bring these spiritual tools in to our practice. Letting go of that fight is a kindness to mind and body. It's a patience that we can learn to offer ourselves, even if we come from a family system that really doesn't understand patience. And when we do so, we are healing And we're creating the life that we deserve and that we want. We don't need to keep bringing the not good enough struggle forward. I hope there's something in this episode today that helps you meet yourself right where you are. Whether you are old hat on this healing journey or whether you feel new and green and are just starting to open up to your awakening. The Boundaries course begins October 18th. We're less than a month out. And all that's required is an open heart and a willingness to step into your own personal power. My favorite yoga classes to teach when I was teaching was a mix of different bodies, beginners and seasoned yogis. In leading therapeutic groups and support groups, I loved having dynamics like a homeless man sitting next to a $500 an hour lawyer. I love teaching through our similarities and our differences. It's a rich teaching zone. All that's required is showing up, reading the lessons that I have out, and listening to the webinars. Many people come back to do this course a second and even a third time. We will be working on boundaries over the entire course of our lives. If you feel called to my work, just jump in and show up, feel through it. You'll have access for a full year And anyone who's buying the course this year in 2021 will be invited back to subsequent year's instruction for half price. That's to support your growth. Just like in my episodes, there are layers. And you will receive from this course from wherever you are now. And if you're meant to take it again, you will know that by the end. Last year's participants, look for an email from me. Y'all are the last year to receive the free offer to return to the course. Look in your inbox for that. That will be released soon if it hasn't been already by the time this is released. Things you will study and take away from this course. How to love yourself through the creation of boundaries that work. You'll learn to manage your own expectations, your expectations of others. You'll learn to accept who people are 
and how they show up versus how you want them to be. You will learn how to no longer be scared of getting triggered and simple scripts for creating and communicating boundaries. This is a soul care course, a course in how to truly respect yourself as a highly sensitive being. If you feel called, I cannot wait to meet you. I cannot wait to meet all of you who have signed up. I'm excited. I'm ready. You can still use coupon code EARLYBIRD21 through the end of September. There's only a few more days to use the early bird code. Those of you who are Patreon producers of the show, y'all are the backbone of the show. We can't do it without you. Therefore, y'all get our biggest discounts. You can sign up till the course starts on the 18th. One of the things you get when you are a Patreon subscriber to our show is you get a shout out right here. I want to thank Nancy W., Kimberly, Amy Liu, Lindsay. We really cannot do the show without y'all. Thank you so much for your continued support. Kayla, Blair L., Dara, Deborah, Katie, Nancy, Danielle, Debbie, Jennifer, Brandy, Katie, Nina, N-E-E-N-A, Janie, I'm not sure I'm saying that right, J-A-N-E-A, Janea, maybe that's right, Shelly, Lanisha, and Dina. We have such a circle of support of y'all supporting the work that I do through Patreon, and that supports our work going all across the world. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'm amazed every day. Thank you all so very much. Light and love. I'm an emotional badass. You're an emotional badass. And together we are where Moxie meets mindful. Bye. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to Calm History dot com.